we haven't gotten a lot of trades to talk about, so we're not really going to speculate on uh, what trade possibilities are out there or could happen within the next couple of days. And to be honest, we didn't really do a mid-season trophy chase review like we've done in the past. But there are two award races that uh, really caught our attention. One of them is for the NHL's top rookie. There are a lot of interesting contenders there. And the other is for the league's top goalie. And there are a lot of heavyweights that could make a very strong case at the end of the season as to why they should win. So today, we're going to tackle both. Episode 310 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, before uh, we uh, get into our main topic, uh, we do have some news and notes to point out, uh, starting with the situation in Ukraine, Brett. Yeah, uh, Wayne, well, mostly, I mean, everyone's chipping in with their opinions and support in uh, Ukraine. Um, and in particular, Wayne Gretzky, uh, who came in and said that, um, I guess he was, he was on a radio show on Sportsnet, um, and, uh, and yeah, he, uh, I guess, uh, there, we, we talked about this last week about how the double IHF is, um, is, uh, banning Russia from all the international hockey events, uh, in 2022, and potentially 2023 if it gets worse. Um, and then uh, Wayne Gretzky, who is, I didn't even realize this, but he is part Ukrainian, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I always thought his last name was more Polish than Ukrainian, yeah, yeah. but uh, you learned something new. Exactly. Well, I don't know, maybe it's like his middle name, it sounds Ukrainian, I don't know, but <laughs> that's mm-hmm. possible. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was also interesting too, because there's so many Russian hockey players, and then when I looked at, like, in terms of how many, I was like, there's got to be Ukrainian hockey players in the NHL. And there was, there's only been eight uh, NHL Ukrainian players um, ever um, in the league. Um, and the last one was, like, in 95 with Ponik Karofsky, um, who I believe played for the Devils for most of his career. But anyways. I mean, that's a very notable name, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you mentioned that there was one that was like half Russian, half Ukrainian, but then um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but um, he uh, he was born in Kiev, but he played for the Russian national team. Um, so he was kind of part Ukrainian. Um, but I know I'm, in the email chats I mentioned Sheridov, Nikolai Sheridov. Yeah, yeah, that's that's who you were talking about. I don't think about. it was him. No, no, it was Sheridov. Um, okay. He's, he's, uh, I guess he has dual citizenship, but, um, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> back, back to this, uh, Gretzky mentioned, uh, I guess Gretzky, uh, came on to one of the shows, um, and then he said, uh, in, and I quote, it's not about punishing Russian kids, what about Ukrainian kids that are being killed? We shouldn't compete against Russia right now while they're at war against an innocent country. Um, so that, that seems to be the reflection of what pretty much everyone has been saying. Um, 
so, so or you know I think that's like basically the gist of of these sanctions um, and all that stuff it's like yeah it's unfortunate for all these Russian kids but um, but yeah at the same time it's um, it's what you have to do um, so and it's like a way to send a message to Putin because Putin hockey is Putin's favorite sport so um, so I, I, yeah, I we, we know he yeah. scores 500 goals every single charity hockey match he plays yeah, yeah exactly well it's mostly because all every every player on the ice is afraid of him but um like they, they'll get like shot. Over yeah, yeah. Uh, the they'll they'll get so. shot if he like if they shows him up. That's what happens when you play yeah. with a, hockey with a dictator. Um, but um, uh, what was I, I, I remember yeah. when he was more famous for that. I liked it that way. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would like it better if he's just not um, around. But yeah, yeah. Um, not <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 like you, you wouldn't think that these sanctions, like the, this particular sanction would, uh, wouldn't hurt, like, you know, Putin wouldn't necessarily care about this type of stuff. But at the same time, as I mentioned, since hockey is his favorite sport, um, and like a lot of the reason why Russia has become so popular was because of their influence in the sporting world. They, they're always like they always were like competitors in pretty much every Olympic sport and stuff like that. And that's just how they gain, gain power. Um, so I, I think, um, in a way, I, I think this could, um, this could help in, uh, Putin's like might get really frustrated and all that stuff. So, so I think that there's that to, um, to consider. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else on this? Well, there's also um, a story that I saw that CCM was uh, pulling some sponsorships uh, from Russian athletes, uh, Ovechkin being one of them, um, in terms of like branding sponsorships. Uh, I don't know if it extends to like uh, gloves and sticks and all that, helmets. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it did. Uh, I think, uh, Brett, you also mentioned that there was an, uh, a commercial that Ovechkin appeared on. I think it was what, Mass Mutual? Was oh, yeah. It? Uh, yeah, it was some insurance company. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was a neat little skit with Nicholas Basham. Yeah, Anyways, that's and been pulled off the airwaves now. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean that. Um, the, yeah, yeah, that's a little. Um, crazy there, there are the nine uh, people, or sorry, the eight people that uh, have played NHL hockey with Ukrainian roots. Um, I actually was able to find this. Dmitry Kristich did not know he was Ukrainian, but uh, yeah, there you go. 596 points in 811 games played. 259 of them were goals. 95 power play goals. A neat little player. Um, I believe uh, actually played uh, for your Boston Bruins. I'm pretty sure because I remember him a lot from uh, NHL um, video games. And he did play a bit for your Bruins. He also played for the Capitals, the Kings, a couple seasons with the Leafs, uh, and then went back to the Capitals then went back to Russia and then concluded his career. So uh, a neat little career for him. Ruslan Fedotenko is also Ukrainian. Right. That's interesting. Um, of course, uh, scored those two big goals against Calgary in the uh, game in the final game of the 2004 playoffs. Um, so a big game, play, uh, big uh, game playoff performer and uh, 366 points to his name. You mentioned Ponikarovsky. He's third on that list in terms of points by Ukrainian-born players. There's Alex Gudyniak, who many people from way back in the day remember 
uh, he was part of the package that Toronto sent to Calgary when they got Doug Gilmore in the late oh, 80s. Right. And, uh, yeah, um, Godinyak played 223 games and got 49 points, which is nowhere near Doug Gilmore production, but, again, defenseman, so... True. Uh, not not exactly expected to shoot the lights out uh, all the time. Uh, there was uh, Igor Chibarev, who played in 45 games and got 19 points. Pretty decent. Uh, Sergei Varlamov, uh, who is a forward, uh, played 63 games, scored eight goals, and added seven assists for a total of 15 points. The uh, two players that didn't get any points were Dmitry Yakushkin, a defenseman. He played two games, uh, zeros across the board. And Alexander Vasilevsky, a forward, played four games, scored zero points. I wonder if Varlamov and Vasilevsky have any relation to the <laughs> players. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be funny, though, eh? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, um, uh, Vasilevsky was born in 75, and uh, Varlamov was born in oh. 78. I mean, I guess maybe it's like an uncle or brother type situation. I don't know. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be like you know cousins. But it but it is funny that it's like those are just the last names that are more familiar with the other like the more famous Russian goalie. So it's interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, there is also a, something that I that I wanted to point out, and it's uh, not related to hockey, but related to the sporting world. Uh, the radio station I work at, um, the station interviewed this 22-year-old Russian soccer goalkeeper who left Canada, signed a professional tryout in Ukraine, signed with the team, then Ukraine went to war. Um, I believe um, anyone who is equipped to fight in terms of uh, the men in Ukraine, um, they're obligated to, to stay behind and fight for the country. This guy didn't uh, this guy had a choice. He didn't have to go out there and fight. Even though he was born in Ukraine, he is a Canadian citizen. He grew up in Winnipeg. He went to Ukraine. He is now being trained uh, to protect the country, and he's 22 years old. Wow! Like you, you want to talk? You don't want to talk about people with balls of steel? You want to talk about courage? That's courage right there. Yeah. No, that's nuts. Um. All right. Uh, so we're, oh, uh, lastly, uh, two things. Uh, one, we forgot to mention this uh, when it happened, but Pat Verbeek is the uh, Ducks GM now. Um, and then also uh, Kyle Davidson is now the Blackhawks GM. Uh, what's interesting about this, this hire from the Blackhawks was that, um, like, he's been working for uh, the Blackhawks for like, uh, for the 2012, since like 2012, um, he was involved with that cup team that won in 2013, and then eventually the one that won in 2015. It was weird that like, there was reports that the Blackhawks were interviewing Peter Chiarelli, they were interviewing some guy from the Cubs, like they were, they, yeah, they I was were really going for the guy from yeah. the Cubs got it just yeah, because be cool. I could say, wow, that guy beat up Peter Shirelli for yeah, a yeah. GM cake. No, 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 that <laughs> would, that would have been great. But, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. that didn't happen. And then, um, yeah, so, so it was just kind of like, uh, it was kind of funny, but, uh, but yeah, I, I guess like they're, they're, they're just going like, I, I thought that like, I don't, I didn't think they were going to hire Shirelli or that guy from the Cubs, but I was thinking that they would try to, um, go with someone who hasn't been in the organization. Um, so I'm a little bit disappointed in, in that, but I guess like, you know, maybe it's just like, this was always going to be the plan and all that stuff. But 
Like, you would think, though, after that huge scandal that they would, like, where we find out that, like, there's a huge toxic culture uh, around Chicago, that you would think that they would try to, like, um, just from, like, a PR standpoint, that they would hire someone on the outside. Um, but, yeah, no, instead, uh, they, they take someone who, uh, who joined the team um, 10 years ago. So... Um, I, I guess it's it's better than like it, it doesn't seem like he was on the team in 2010 so so I guess it's like there's that um, but but yeah it's it's still I don't know I, I guess there is something to that that I feel like maybe there there shouldn't um, maybe they should have just hired someone who was who hasn't been in the organization for a while just yeah not, not really not really on the team in 2010 but still yeah. kind of on the team yeah ex- exactly but <laughs> like i mean some time. well it looks like he i'm looking here at his wikipedia it looks like he joined in 2012 or he was an intern yeah, he was an intern first yes. yeah yeah oh, i'm not sure i remember he started as an intern. yeah he uh he actually was in uh working for the your Ottawa Senators um, after graduating in 2010 so so that's where yeah, he was actually um, I actually think uh, he has ties to Ottawa he was yeah. he was on um, the Ottawa News um, when he got uh, hired yep born in Ottawa there you go yeah. so um, yeah every everyone in Ottawa is uh, having uh, some form of success except not with the Sens yeah oh, interesting <laughs> Um, yeah, and then uh, and then Pat Verbeek. We'll we'll see what the Ducks do on trade deadline day. But um, but yeah, it, the original little ball of hate is uh, back in the NHL. Um, yeah, yeah. Before Brad Marchand was called that, yeah. that's what uh, Pat Verbeek was. Called. I believe people so, actually uh, got mad because I, I believe people actually got mad when we started nicknaming Brad Marchand as little ball of hate because it's like, well, that was Verbeek's title. Uh, for a while, so I don't know if anyone actually like if you were to mention this to any NHL fan, uh, like who is the little ball of hate? I feel like it would depend on. Like I don't know if too many people would actually call Marshawn the little ball of hate. I mean, they could probably guess it, but um, but yeah, maybe it's like if you're older than like thirty five years old, you would think it's for Beak, and then anyone under is uh, Brad Marshawn. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I am curious to see what the Ducks do on trade deadline day uh, with that move. Um, Even more so with Chicago moving forward because, yep. of course, you have uh, the the two-headed monster, Taves and Kane, becoming uh, UFAs after uh, next year is done and how they handle that. You also have Marc-Andre Fleury, what they do with Dylan Strome. And uh, we were talking about uh, Kyle Davidson. He, he's uh, not wasting time to make changes. Uh, this tweet from Elliot Freeman a couple days ago says, um, shortly after his hire, VP of amateur scouting Mark Kelly, gone. Assistant GM Ryan Stewart, gone. Both were with the organization for 15 years, and during that time, that organization won three Stanley Cup titles. Wow. And both of them are no longer with the team. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not wasting any time. Right, right. Um, okay. Um, so, so yeah, like the, the lead-in was mentioning, um, we decided to talk about the Calder race. Um, I, we have mentioned uh, Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider before. They had their own episode, and we're going to talk about them again. Um, I hope you don't mind, uh, people. Um 
who are listening. I mean, if they're that good, you know, we should talk about them, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. We always talk about Trevor Zegers because he's a personal favorite of mine. And, of course, we talk about Jeremy Swayman as well. And then um, we also have, we're adding Michael Bunting to this list of five as well. And then we'll go on to honorable mentions and who's going to win. And then after that, we're going to talk about the Vezina race. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I was going to start off with actually the, uh, uh, yeah, let's, let's start off with Lucas Raymond. Uh, since we've last talked about him, he's had, uh, hold on, I had his numbers <laughs> just a second ago, and now I don't have his numbers anymore. Um, okay, give me a second now. Uh, so, uh, we had, uh, right, right, so, uh, Lucas Raymond now has 43 points in 56 games, um, and then in the month of... Uh, February. I was going to pull up that. Uh, that one, he has seven points in seven games. Um, uh, March just began, but he had one point in three games, so I didn't really want to count that. He also had uh, seven points in, in the month of January in 14 games. So um, I think we had that episode in like December, if I'm remembering correctly. So uh, so yeah, I guess from his standards, he had kind of a slow January, but he picked it back up in February. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with like how the Red Wings aren't necessarily that good uh, right now. So it's like they were playing like Florida and Tampa Bay, for instance, and those were games that he didn't get any points. Although I guess he did get a point against uh, Carolina. He had two goals and one assist in that crazy game against Toronto. Uh, but yeah, he's been a little bit more inconsistent lately, um, which I, I guess is to be expected considering he's a 19-year-old um, in the NHL, and you're going to expect some inconsistency. But you know, more or less, he has been on top of the points race uh, for the whole time. Um, Luke, Michael Bunting, who we're about to get to, just tied him in the points race now. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely impressive considering that uh, he's doing so well. 43 points in 56 games. Um, I'm just wondering if he's going to regress even further and not be as consistent as we all thought he could be. Um, but, but I think that's just something that we'll have to see in the, the coming weeks. Well, I, I would argue that uh, the regression is kind of sort of started. If you look at his first 22 games, he had nine goals and 12 assists. So that's near a point per game pace, five power play points in that stretch. And he was only averaging 17 minutes a game. And part of the reason for that offensive production is, well, people don't really know in the NHL what you're capable of. And they right. see how good you are. And they're just like, okay, we probably should pay attention more to this guy. So probably more teams started to realize that and just yeah. like, okay, put more bodies on him. They're just like, okay, the points per game's going down. The next 21 games, only two goals, still gets 11 assists, but 13 points in 21 games, only four power play points. The power play time on ice vaults from 231 a game to 320 a game. His time on ice uh, goes up by a full two minutes and an additional second. He's averaging 1904 in those next 21 games. But again, the points per game is going down, so teams are starting to figure him out. And then uh, in quarter three, he's played 13 games, nine goal, or sorry, not nine goals, nine points, five of them goals. And uh, out of those uh, nine points, five have been on the power play, the ice time in that stretch. 
has gone down a bit. Uh, the power play time ice has also gone down from 320 to 250, so that's a full 30 seconds. So you're starting to bounce it back a little bit. But as a team, like we've mentioned uh, in recent weeks, Detroit is definitely a team that has a better offense, but defensively, you look at their goals against, uh, and you compare their goals against to some of the other bottom feeders like Ottawa, Arizona, Montreal, it's still not where it needs to be for a playoff team. So um, obviously that's uh, that's going to hang over his head a little bit in the Calder Trophy race in terms of um, the team aspect. But uh, it shouldn't take away from the positive season that he's had and also the positive impact that he's made for his linemates like Tyler Bertuzzi and Dylan Larkin, both yep. of whom have also looked good in their own right too. And that's something that can't be underestimated when you talk about how effective Lucas Raymond has been in year one. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's true. And what's what's interesting is that while I'm watching a game right now, uh, Minnesota and Dallas, and uh, last year it was like, it was basically just Kaprizov and yeah. uh, Robertson. Kaprizov and Robertson, who would win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, now both are, like, there's no sophomore slump for either team, uh, either guy now. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's so, like, I guess that's just something that we'll have to see. And, and that applies for all these guys, um, Raymond included, of course. Um, okay, so, so Michael, I was going to go down the list of the, like, rookies by points. But I also, like, felt like I I, I just have Zegris going now. Because Bunting is technically ahead of a Zegris in points. But I, I just figured, like, let's just... Let's just go down this list here. Um, also, uh, Zegers has 42 points in 51 games. Uh, Raymond, Bunting, and Sider, the other guy we're going to talk about, um, have uh, 56 games played and 55 games played for Bunting. So it's like, uh, so Zegers has a better points per game um, than the other three guys we're going to talk about. Um, which is which is pretty cool. Um, we should also keep in mind that Michael Bunting is an old rookie. He is yeah. 26. Well, I was going to get into that when we were going to talk about him, but we're going to start off with Trevor Zegers. Um, he had 40. He has 42 points in 51 games, as I mentioned. Uh, he really started to take off like after our <laughs> cider and uh, and Raymond episode maybe he like had heard this all along or something like that I don't know but uh yeah in the month of December he had 11 points in nine games which is uh which is when he really started to blow off the handle um January he had seven points in 12 games so uh, I believe that was the time when he actually got COVID uh so he wasn't playing as often and then when he was playing he wasn't that great but that's okay uh, then in February, he started to bring it back again, and he had seven points in seven games. And then in the month of March, again, the, like he's only played two games in March, but still impressive. He has three three points. Um, I I got to experience, uh, well, it was the first time I was rooting against him when he played uh, the Bruins. And he, uh, he not only had an assist in that game, but he also got the game winner just before overtime was about to start. Um, and uh, and of course that was going to happen, um, and I'm I'm going to hate him because he's a Bruins killer, but only when he plays the Bruins. Um, 
I love this guy. I've loved this guy ever since uh, the I drafted him, um, but uh, in in a couple of my leagues. But um, uh, but yeah, when I watched him in BU, I always knew that he was going to be this talented. And then once he started to really really uh, blow up in the World Juniors, he's he's been uh, you know that's that's when you could tell that okay, there's something special about this guy. Um, and um, yeah, now. Um, I think, like, you know, Zegers has been kind of meeting expectations or even exceeding them from right away. But, again, it's like Lucas Raymond. We'll, we'll see um, how good he can be, um, um, you know, next year or in the remaining, this final stretch as well because that's going to be the true tell of how good this guy can be. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, he's just very, very fun to watch. Oh, and I also didn't even mention, I mean, we did mention it uh, during the All-Star game, but he also had that, like, shootout um, goal um, in the All-Star game skills competition that he should have won, but he didn't. Um, and, yeah, he's, I think he's just that's, very impressive. I think that's what led to his hot streak, Brad. It wasn't yeah. the, your first suggestion, it was that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. It was, okay. it was the dog it wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't COVID or anything. It was literally just because he, uh, he was pissed off. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, but yeah, no, I've watched most of his games and yeah, he's very fun to watch. So I'm a little bit biased, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's definitely a great player. He should win, but I don't think he, he, there, there's a chance that I think we'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to who, who, uh, we think will win in a bit, but, um, but yeah, he, uh, he is, uh, looking pretty good. When you look when you look at Raymond's stats and you compare them to Zegers, they're actually pretty similar. Yep. Um, oh, uh, in terms of a points per 80, eighty-two game pace, uh, Lucas Raymond's at sixty-three. Zegers is at uh, sixty-eight, which is pretty decent. Uh, Lucas Raymond has a shooting percentage of thirteen. Zegers is thirteen point two percent. Power play goals both have five. Power play points. Zegers has thirteen. Raymond has fourteen. So again neck and neck there and in terms of time on ice Raymond uh, is at 18 14 per game Zegras is at uh, 17 20 when you compare their power play time on ice it's relatively similar there and both of them are in similar situations where they're on young teams that are starting to lean heavily on their young guys so it, it's ultimately going to come down to what happens down the stretch and it's and it's unfair um, to Lucas Raymond as to who gets the advantage there because the NIM Ducks are in a more favorable position to at least push for a playoff spot, whereas Detroit is just like, well, we had a chance and then Boston suddenly got hot and there's no way we're catching Toronto. Right. Um, so Detroit's probably going to be playing for pride again once April rolls around, but they, they still have a lot to look forward to. Anaheim, honestly... It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they finished higher than Vegas. The way Vegas has been playing, it's been so inconsistent. Um, it's it's tough to measure what those uh, two teams are going to look like after the deadline. So if the Ducks make a huge push down the stretch for a playoff spot, and Zegers is a big part of that, that uh, could put him, uh, rightly or wrongly, ahead of uh, Lucas Raymond in the Calder race. Yeah, I think what uh, Zegers has over Raymond and Bunting and Sider right now is the fact that he has he's only play, he's played less games um, than them, and he's relied upon more than the other guys as well. So, 
So I think there is something to be said about that. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, but maybe but maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. It should, it should also be noted that Zegras had 13 points in 24 games last year, so he had a taste of the big leagues, whereas yeah. Lucas Raymond's – his NHL debut happened uh, when the season started. So Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. He's, he's had time to, like, uh, hone his craft for at least a season in North America um, because he had to – he made a big difference uh, for the San Diego Gulls in the time that he was there last year, too. True, true. Good point. Um yeah, I'm looking here in terms of points per game. Well, Matt Boldy, who I'll talk about in a, even more, but in terms of like points per game, if you count like Jack Drury, uh, if you don't count Jack Drury or Jack Quinn, who had like a point per game when in the two games that they've played, um, uh, Matt Boldy has a point. Uh, Matt Boldy now has the most points per game from a rookie. Um, and then if you count, um, but then like, but Boldy's only played in 22 games, but if you count uh, Zegris, uh, but then if you don't count like Boldy because of the games played and stuff, uh, Zegris has the most points per game of anyone who's played more than 50 games. Um, so I know that that's a weird qualifier, but, um, <laughs> but uh, it's still like 0.82 points per game is, is, is decent. Um, and we'll see if maybe like, because Zegers has games in hand, maybe he'll end up being the points leader. Um, and we'll see. Um, and that could be the difference. Um, so uh, if Zegers doesn't win it, I hope it's uh, this guy, which is funny because he plays for my favorite team, uh, Jeremy Swayman. Uh, the, the thing with Swayman is he's been really good uh, lately. Um, ever since Tuka Rask retired, um, he was called up, and uh, Jeremy Swayman is 7-0-1 in his last eight games. Uh, he also has a 9.53 save percentage and a 1.34 GAA with two shutouts. Um, so he's been really, really good down the stretch. Um, of course, uh, he has he's played 26 games. Um, and so, which I would imagine is why he's probably not going to win the Calder. Um, also, not to mention the fact that he's still like technically splitting the crease with Linus Ulmark. But the, the only way, reason why I could think that Swayman could win is well, one, he did win the February Rookie of the Month um, award recently. I also think that like the only reason why I think. Swayman, the only way that I think Swayman could win the Calder is if uh, Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy decides that Swayman is the guy, which he should, but I don't think he's going to, um, and and just makes him the, the starter, and then the Bruins go on this, like, huge streak, and they, you know, they're in the, uh, they're one of the better teams, or they're, like, top two in the Atlantic. Or, or, you know, maybe they, uh, they beat out Toronto. Um, so, um, so yeah, in, in this, I, I feel like in this sense, it is harder for a rookie to win the Calder Trophy just because they're goalies and they don't play that often and they're not expected to be the starter. But if, and like, and then once they do become the starter, it's probably going to be like, um, 
like it won't be at the beginning of the season. So, but I don't know. At the same time, he's been very, very good lately. Um, and it could just be like a, a recency bias type thing. And, and maybe he'll, um, I'm hoping that he'll at least get nominated, but who knows with the, this rookie list that we're about to get into. There's no doubt uh, that Jerry's, Jeremy Swayman's going to get Rookie of the Year votes. Um, with all due respect to Jeremy Swayman, I'd be shocked if he finishes top five just because there are a lot of other rookies that have really impressed me more. Um, also, you look at his play in the start of the season, and granted, he was able to get uh, the Bruins uh, favorable results uh, in his season debut. He stopped 27 of 28, went against Dallas. That's huge. Um, um the next three, four, the next four wins he got was against Detroit, where he only faced 15 shots and stopped 14 of them. Uh, then he faced Ottawa, which uh, they were struggling mightily at that point. Um, New Jersey has kind of had a down year, but they were kind of streaking. He stopped 27 and 29, so I'll give him credit for that one. Montreal was absolutely egregious out of the gate, too, but he stopped 27 and 29 there. Then you started to see performances like the Rangers on November 26, where he stops 26 of 30, losing effort. But again, the Rangers are a very good team, so he can hang with the best there. The next time that he goes out there is December 2nd against Nashville. 42 save shutout, first shutout of the season. That's huge. I like that. Um, then he goes up against Tampa Bay, takes it to uh, extra time, and the Bruins get a point out of that. You'll love to see that. Uh, pretty good against Vancouver a couple nights after that, December the 8th. Um, unfortunate result, they lose, but again, takes them to extra time and it gets them a point there. Um, and then when uh, you, you mentioned the stretch that uh, since Tugaras retired, uh, he's been especially good. Uh, 30 safe shutout against the Sens. He had... Um, 33 save outing against the Rangers that went to a shootout and the Bruins lost, but again, they get a point out of that. Uh, good against Ottawa. The next time out stops 28 of 29 against Colorado gets the win there. Um, that uh, game against the Kings on February 28, 34 save shutouts stops 34 of 36 against Vegas. And um, while four goals went against him against Columbus, uh, good enough to get the win there in uh, extra time. So I, I just I, I think while the results are good and the numbers look good, the up and downs are going to be the downfall. Uh, whereas you compare that to a lot of the other names on this list, I think they've been a bit more consistent uh, than Swayman has been. That's not in any way going to dictate the kind of goalie that he's going to become. He's going to take advantage of that Bruins starting job as soon as he gets his hands on it. Um, but also, again... The fact they have Linus Olmark in the mix, uh, that's probably going to go against him as well because Olmark, when he's played for the Bruins, uh, he's been very good at times this year too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, I I do think that he Swayman should be the starter, but at the same time, then I look back at like what ha- ended up happening to Carter Hart or um, yeah. or even like Demko. It's like yeah, they're they're still decent, but uh, I I don't I feel like they rushed them a little bit, um, and so so I guess you you should be careful with making uh, your rookie your starter at that young because then you could ruin their their development um, in the long run. But at the same time, I, I like 
you know, I feel like we're, we're seeing, like, a future Sesterkin in the mix. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, and you, and you saw it with the decision to sign Allmark only for yep. four years in a heavily stacked market, a free agent market, where you had a lot of goalies. You had uh, Freddie Anderson also on the market, too. You could have taken him. Instead, you go for Allmark, who's had some good seasons in the past, but not really established himself as a starting goaltender from like a full season's worth of hockey. And you only give him a four-year term. That that tells me that in three to four years, Swayman could be ready full time to take this thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Okay, um, so now we have. Um, so lastly, oh wait, no, fourthly, um, we have more uh, another guy we've talked about a lot about, but uh, he's the other Detroit duo. He is a defenseman, uh, or the only defenseman we're going to talk about, Moritz Seider. Uh, he has 41 points in 56 games. Um, I think this is like, um, this is slightly, like the, the advantage that Seider uh, has over everyone else is the fact that he is a defenseman. So that means that he does, like, hit. He does block. He does do a lot of other things that the other guys don't necessarily do. Uh, he has 111 blocks on the year um, already, which is uh, pretty crazy. So, uh, so yeah, he, he does look like he's a pro already. Um, and, I mean, I, I guess that's actually, now that I think about it, that's almost like two blocks per game. Um, so, so maybe that's not as impressive but uh, for a defenseman, but, you know, still pretty impressive considering that he's 20 years old right now and he's still like you know he's putting up points um so um so yeah he's 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 doing it all and i i think that that could help him out in the long run but then at the same time then when you look at like the rookie scoring you don't really see like more cider around here um um let's see here actually did i do this right because now i don't even see him Oh, did I only include forwards? I think I just included forwards. That's probably why. Um, but um, but yeah, that okay, yeah, that's what happened. But like the next closest defenseman, rookie defenseman, has twenty four points, and uh, that's uh, Jamie Drysdale. I'm talking about. Um, so uh, so yeah, th that just like he's like doubling the defenseman list. So I think like from that angle. The fact that he's like doing really, really well for a defenseman um, and beating out all those guys, I think that could uh, certainly help him out in the long run. And the fact that he's fourth in uh, point rookie scoring right now. So I think that that could help for something. There are a couple of underlying factors that you mentioned, Brett, that um, I'll be perfectly honest are enough to make Moritz Sider a top three at worst in this race. And here's why. To put up 36 assists and 41 points as a rookie is insane. That's a 60-point pace over 82 games. 120 shots, that's on pace for 176 over a full 82. On pace for 124 hits, he has 85 at the moment. Uh, on pace for 163 blocks, Brett has mentioned he has 111 at the moment. Power play points, 17 right now, two of them goals. So that's... Uh, Three power play goals and 25 power play points 
if he continues that pace and plays a full 82. He averages 258 power play ice time per game and 2301 in all situations per game. Again, Moritz Sider is in his first year of NHL hockey and on a team with a minus 40 goal differential, he's a plus one, which is a lot better than a minus. So given the fact that he's already playing in those high leverage situations, when you look at the rest of the Detroit Red Wings defense and with all due respect to their defense, outside of Nick Letty, it's not looking that great. And Mark Stahl, too. You're leaning a lot on this young guy who is, at the moment, 20 years old. Uh, will be uh, 21 years old uh, in early April, so not too long from now. Even at 6'4", 197 pounds, that's a lot of weight to be putting on this guy. And over his last nine games, he's got 12 points. So over his last nine games, he's over a point of game pace. Uh, a phenomenal season, phenomenal first uh, impression by Moritz Sider here, and uh, worth of every single vote he's going to get. Yeah, yeah, I I think he'll he'll be uh, one of those three. I I definitely see that happening. Um, okay, and then the last guy we're going to talk about because he's currently. Um, tied for the points lead in rookie scoring is Michael Bunting. And yes, you read that right. Uh, Michael Bunting is 26 years old. Um, And uh, yes, somehow he counts as a rookie. I don't really quite understand it. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, he's a, he counts as a rookie. He has 43 points in 55 games. Um, It's, Kind of, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he, he has good line mates or because he's in Toronto. I believe he, um, isn't it like, uh, I think it's Tavares. Um, I know he's in the top six, so I'm <laughs> going to, uh, I'm going to guess that it's, it's either Tavares or Matthews. Um, so, so, so to add, to add some light, actually, uh, have Dauber open in front of me and, good, good. uh, some of the line combinations. So he's been on lines with Nylander and Matthews. Uh, I have seen him a bit with John Tavares. Uh, I've seen him a bit uh, in quarter two with Mitch Marner there. Um, so so yeah, he's he's been he's been spread around uh, with Matthews, Marner, yeah. and Tavares. Currently, I think, he's uh, with... if I had to if I had to take a gander, it's probably Matthews and Nylander that are more so the common yeah. line mates uh, compared to Tavares, based on what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, no, I. I... <laughs> I don't know why I mentioned Tavares. But, but even still, yeah. like, those are, like, John yeah. Tavares-like talented players. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that, that, still pretty good. that was a good reminder that I should look this up before I say stuff, so. um, <laughs> especially on a podcast. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I did look this up while you were talking. Uh, yeah, his line mates are currently Matthews and Marner. So those aren't bad line mates to be a part of, of course. Um, so I, I do feel like, he, even though, yes, he is technically – a rookie and he's a part of this uh, on the, um, you know, he has uh, 43 points in 55 games like uh, Lucas Raymond does. Um, I feel like that might, the fact that his line mates, it's like, duh, like even I could have 43 points with <laughs> Matthews and Marner on, on my line. So uh, I, I feel like that ultimately is going to lose him, um, like make it so that he's probably not going to win the Calder. Uh, just because it like it does feel like he is that third wheel, 
Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, this, this could be like in the future, if this, and you know, if Michael Bundine is consistent with this, this could be like, this seems to be the replacement for Zach Hyman on Toronto. And, uh, yeah, maybe a, potentially this could be a type of situation where like Matthews, Marner and Bunting are the, the trio that like, you know, that rivals the Boston top line or the Colorado top line. Um, in the future, because it's like they're all still pr- relatively young still, so it's like this this could end up working out for him if if Toronto is um, good. But um, and and not to mention like we we knew he was decent last year. He had 13 points in 21 games for Arizona last year, um, and he had one point in five games uh, uh, two years ago. Um, or, yeah, no, actually three years ago. If I'm reading that right. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there is still, um, there is a chance that I guess he, he gets the rookie of the year, but he'd have to like blow it out of the water, like actually have like a point per game <laughs> play. Um, but I, I don't think that's gonna actually going to happen. Yeah, he, he won't be a top three just because a lot of the production isn't generated by Michael Bunting. It's generated by the guys around him. But you know what? The fact that he can play with the guys around him and put up points, hey, you're doing your job. That's great. Um, When you look at uh, Michael Bunting from last season, and last season he was not on Toronto. He was with the Arizona Coyotes. He had 10 goals, 13 points, and 21 games. Only took 38 shots, which means his shooting percentage was an absolutely absurd 26.3%. Made 28 hits over those 21 games, averaged 152 of power play time and 1642 of ice time in all situations. If you look at uh, quarter three and quarter four, which is where he appeared in his games last year, in quarter three, he had six goals and one assist for a total of seven points in just eight games, three of them on a power play. His, uh, his uh, top three line combinations, the top three line combinations that he was a part of, uh, first one features Connor Garland and Nick Schmaltz. That's pretty good. Next one faces uh, features Nick Schmaltz and uh, John Hayden. John Hayden, a pretty good player, but not a top six forward. And then there's uh, Phil Kessel and Nick Schmaltz. So you put him around uh, some pretty decent top six guys, and he can produce. That's great. But again, it's the Arizona Coyotes, not the Toronto Maple Leafs. Quarter four, four goals, two assists, six points, 13 games. Um, averages two minutes, just over two minutes of uh, power play ice time. His time on ice actually goes down from 17.48 in quarter three to 16 minutes on the nose. He's uh, His most common linemates are now Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller by this point. Um, Connor Garland and Lane Peterson were his linemates uh, as well in quarter four, as was Derek Broussard and uh, Clayton Keller. So again, the offensive potential is there to the point where I have said in the past and will continue to say Michael Bunting is going to be the biggest steal of the 2021 offseason. And sure enough, he puts up these kind of numbers with the Toronto Maple Leafs. 19 goals in 55 games, 43 points. That's a 64-point pace, 15.8 shooting percentage. One of those feisty guys that the Leafs need and the Leafs lost in Zach Hyman. You know what the real kicker is out of all of this? His power play time on ice has gone down by 40 seconds compared to last year, and his 
time on ice has gone down from 1642 to 1534, and he's Jeez. still on pace for 64 points. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Amazing that if you put him up with the top-line talent, what he, what he can accomplish. Yeah. And on one of the league's best power plays, too. And not to say that Toronto's power play wasn't um, terrible last year, but uh, down the stretch, it wasn't nearly good enough. Uh, this year, it, it seems to be better. It, it seems to be performing better. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, in turn, so now we get to the honorable mentions before we get, come up with who we think is going to win the Calder. I have a few guys that I want to mention. Um, so I, I kind of mentioned this already, like briefly mentioned them before, I think in this episode, but Matthew Boldy, uh, he is uh, he's, he has almost a point per game, 20 points in 23 games right now, um, which is pretty good. Um, so, so yeah, <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like because it's like, he joined the team in January. I, I don't think he has an actual shot, uh, but we'll see. Cole Caulfield has finally uh, come back to life uh, in the month. I guess it has something to do with Martin St. Louis being the coach now. Um, I, I was just looking at his stats and his splits here. Um, did you know that in, Feb in the month of February, he had 10 points in nine games? Uh, that's um, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say. no, definitely uh, better than I, what he was producing. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I think that's pretty good. So uh, kudos to him for at least uh, picking it up, and he has four points in three games currently in March. So yeah, he's he's only getting better, but I feel like it's um, not too little, too late because it's not too little, but. Um, but uh, I, I do think that he is definitely hurt by the first half of games. Um, and then uh, the other two, I, I think I know the other guy that you're going to mention in these honorable mentions, but um, I do want to mention Anton Lindell. Um, uh, he has 30 points in 50, 51 games. Uh, he's pretty close. He's now fifth in points in rookie scoring right now. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, that's pretty good. I, I think the thing that could hurt him though is the fact that he does he's like on the third line in Florida. Um, so I, I feel like that isn't as um, as impressive as like say Trevor Zegris or Lucas Raymond who are playing a lot more time or even Ward Sider who's um, a, like a top line or a top pairing defenseman. So. Um, I don't think he has enough to just do it just yet, but um, it is looking pretty good, especially since like he was drafted in 2020. Um, I remember back in the draft year um, that there was like talk about like if Lundell could, uh, like like the only concern about Lundell at the time was his offensive abilities, but it does look like um, at least he can score now. Um, so I, I think it's it's looking like it's a good pick. I'm just ashamed that I traded him in one of those leagues, um, but I do have him in at least another league. Um, and then the same thing can go to uh, Dawson Mercer, um, who I also wanted to mention, because he's a similar guy who I traded in one league, but I have him in another league. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he has uh, 33 points in 56 games. Um but he also like only plays um, 16 minutes of ice time, like, and that's not enough compared to like Zegers or Raymond or Cider. 
Um, but, and it, you know, it's decent still, and it, it's good that, um, that like, I, I feel like New Jersey has a lot of good things coming along, um, and Mercer is one of those guys. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know if, I don't think that's going to be enough for him either, but it's, he is looking pretty good. So, um, I can't necessarily knock him on that. Um, who else do you have or anyone, if you want to comment on anyone I mentioned. So briefly, I wanted to mention Tanner Janelle because uh, with Nashville, he's uh, been pretty good, uh, very serviceable, um, I would, I would call top nine forwards with the potential of being a, a solid second line contributor and the numbers this year, I think, back that up. Matt Boldy, um, if he was called up sooner, probably would be in the thick of this race. But um, again, based on what we've seen, probably going to be just as good as uh, a lot of the names on this list. And I would put Anton Liddell in that category as well. I don't yeah. think he's going to be... Uh, he might be a top five guy, um, but that's a big if at this point uh, just because he's on a stacked Florida team. If you look at the power play time at IC's average, you wonder why he only has a goal and four points on the power play. He only averages 47 seconds per game on the power play. That's because yeah. the Panthers have guys have guys like Barkov and Huberto and Reinhardt and, oh, don't forget about Brady and Duclair. They have those guys too. They have more of them, Frank Petrano too, they could probably toss out there. Like, and Mason Marchment, even one of their bottom six boards, is like yeah. on a point per game pace. It like you put anyone with any with any line combination, and it just seems to work for them. Yeah. That's how good Florida's offense is. They can score like a four to five goal per game pace. It's insane. Um, I also think if Anton Lindell, and it's it's unfair because it's a rookie, forty five percent. Success rate on faceoffs. He's won 289 faceoffs, which is good. Um, getting that um, amount of exposure as a as a rookie in the faceoff dot is certainly commendable. Um, I think if he gets that faceoff percentage up uh, closer to the end of the year, uh, maybe he could get more votes that way. Um, but yeah, the, this the sky is definitely the limit for him to have like a shooting percentage of 14.6. 61 point pace over 82 games, 14 goals in his first 51 games. It's definitely a lot to look forward to if you're a Panthers fan. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. What's interesting about Lundell and um, and Mercer is that they were in that 2020 draft, and they were like Lundell was uh, went uh, 12th overall, and Mercer went 18th overall. Um, I mean, Lafreniere has picked it up recently, so uh, it's still limit and Tim Stutzla looks pretty good of course Lucas Raymond was also a part of that draft um so so like there's still a bunch of guys but it is interesting that like Lundell and Mercer are doing so well like this soon and it was in like 2020 um like they were drafted like two years ago um so it's it's pretty cool to to see them make it in that sense um and also I had forgotten that I guess Alex Delkovich and Capo Kakinen could have counted as rookies as well, um, which is interesting. But uh, I, maybe Kakinen if he plays a little bit more. But uh, but Nedeljkovic hasn't looked as great recently, so so maybe he won't get any Calder votes. But I, I did want to mention the other goalies, um, rookie goalies that we could get into. Um, speaking of goalies. Um, 
we have uh, where the other uh, race that we wanted to talk about is the Vezina race. Um, and I guess this was more of an excuse for both of us to talk about how good Shesterkin is. Um, <laughs> at least <laughs> for me. Uh, he has a nine, currently he has a 940 save percentage and a GAA of 1.96. Uh, he has a record of 27, 6, and 2. Um, so that's like insane. Um, and uh, yeah, it, this is his third year in the league. Um, so that that's pretty good. I think what's what's interesting about the Rangers, and I had kind of had picked this the Rangers as the team to watch this year. Um, and I like you know I I figured that the Rangers were going to be good because of Shesterkin, but I didn't know that he was going to be this good because um, this is like out of world numbers. This is basically like Dominic Hasek in his heyday, and he's only. Um, Hold on, he's only 26 years old. So, um, so yeah, that, that's uh, pretty good, obviously. Um, and I, I feel like he's only going to get better, which is insane to think about because right now it's pretty good. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that the Rangers would would be uh, like a, a team to watch, uh, not just because they have Panarin and Adam Fox, um, or I thought like that was going to be the main reason why they were going to do that was. They had Panarin, they had Adam Fox, um, maybe Lafreniere and Kako step it up. And then you have uh, Kreider and, um, like, you know, what's what's going on with Kraftsoff? Uh, you have uh, Jacob Truba in the mix as well. So, like, the Rangers have been a pretty good team in the front of the net. But the fact that the, Ran the Rangers have this goaltender um, that, uh, you know, that can like replace the effect that Henrik Lundqvist had on the team um, is re is really good. Um, and like the Bruins, like the Rangers kind of lucked out in goal because uh, they have Shesterkin now. Um, and he could even be, end up like, if I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I could see him maybe being better than Lundqvist, um, as crazy as that sounds. But um but yeah, right now he's he's putting up an incredible uh, season right now. Uh, I don't even know if incredible is good enough to describe <laughs> how good he's been for the Fair. Rangers. And a lot of what I like about the New York Rangers is more focused on how the team has done compared to last year. Because when we look at the Rangers last year, we think of them as this fun team to, to watch and to play against. And the goal differential was also pretty crazy, but their record um, wasn't good enough to make the playoffs because they're in a hotly contested division where there wasn't um, much room to give. And, you know, a couple one-goal losses here and there, they start to add up. So I was curious as to the goal differential uh, and how it's uh, necessarily changed. Uh, I don't want to say necessarily changed, but like I, I wanted, I wanted to see how the Rangers' defense uh, stacked up from this year uh, to to last year. They have given up 136 goals in 55 games, going 35, 15, and five in that stretch. Only Carolina and Calgary have given up fewer goals, and Carolina's given up the fewest is 132, so that's four more than the Rangers. 
So they're near the very bottom of that goals against leaderboard. Whereas you compare that to a season like last year where they played a more run-and-gun offense, and the New York Rangers, in terms of uh, goals against, uh, let's see where uh, where they finished uh, in the grand scheme of things, they, they had uh, the 13th fewest goals against, which, again, is, is pretty good, but, like, again, not very good enough if, if you're wanting to make the playoffs. 87% uh, success rate on the penalty kill was also pretty good. But, again, that team was 27, 23, and 6. So I was curious what their record in one goal games was as a team, because that to me is a good indication of team structure, how the goaltending is doing. It 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 tell it tells a, a broader scope. So in terms of wins by one goal games uh, last year, the New York Rangers, according to the NHL.com website, actually had. Yeah, this is so funny. They had, they were, they were actually tied with Detroit for the fewest one-goal game wins. They had five last year. Uh, they uh, went five, nine, and six in one-goal games. So you compare that to their record this year, and the New York Rangers, oh, would you look at that. They have the second most one-goal game wins. They're 16, five, and five in one-goal games this year. And that is where you see the Shizurkin effect really taking into effect. Uh, in in particular, when you go by month by month, he hasn't really shown any form of weakness. In October, he goes five five and one, or, or five one and one rather, in seven games. GAA of one point seven zero, one shutout, nine forty seven save percentage, six two and one in the month of November. Despite a two point six seven goals against average, he has a nine twenty save percentage. Uh, wins 304 in December, 2.11 GAA, 929 save percentage. 7-1-0 and in eight January games, 947 save percentage. Two of his seven wins were shutouts, go figure. 4-1-1 in the month of April, 959 save percentage, GAA below 1.4. And so far in the month of March, he has four goals against in two games, and he's won both. And as a 938 save percentage. So from a consistency standpoint, it's been there too. And then you look at uh, some of the teams that he's gone up against. Uh, Tampa Bay, for example, in two games played against them, he's won both, only given up three goals over those two games. Against Florida, another hotly contested team that can score at will. In three games, they've scored nine times on him, but he has a 920 save percentage, so he's two and one in that span. Uh, same record against Toronto that can also score at will. He's only given up uh, six goals in those three games, and his save percentage against the Maple Leafs is 945 with the 1.98 GAA on the side. That's pretty good, too. Yep. Against your Bruins, Brett, sorry to say, uh, three goals against uh, in two games, and he won both. Yep. So you, you can go on uh, along the list of teams that uh, he's played against. And you can start to see where Igor Shajorkin is the front runner. It's not about who he's playing against. It's when the chips are down and you look at, Ily, uh, at uh, uh, Sh- Igor Shajorkin or Alex Georgiev and you compare the two numbers, the, the question you're asking is, okay, this guy's a lot of potential versus this guy's a lot of potential and he's getting wins. 
who do I go with? I go with the hot hand. And right now, Igor is the hot hand. And he's continued to be that way. He was showing signs of that uh, in the past couple of years that he's played. He's shown that he's ready for that number one mantle. And now he's ready to challenge, I think, Vasilevsky on an annual basis that he can be the best goalie in the league. Yep. Has the defensive structure, the team defensive structure, improved in front of him? I would argue it has. Has it benefited him? Yes. But it doesn't take away from the fact that he was a good goalie before this. The numbers back that up as well. Yep. So, yeah, as as far as front runners go, he's the front runner at the moment. Yeah, honestly, it feels like I, I don't even really want to talk about the other goalies because it's, it's like... <laughs> Just, just Which would be unfair to the other goalies, which is why yeah, we'll yeah. talk about them because they've also been good. We we will talk about them, but uh, but it, it like it feels like um, like there's there's no reason really to talk about them. It feels one side good, yeah, and it, it's mostly just because Shurkin's been that good. What's also interesting mm-hmm. is I remember back a couple of years ago we were thinking about like how. Uh, the Islanders had a good goalie in Sororkin. Uh, the Washington had a go- um, the good Russian goalie in Samsonov. Uh, Samsonov has kind of fallen off lately, but uh, and Sororkin has been decent lately. But um, but yeah, now it's just like oh yeah, Shesterkin is by far the best of the Russian S last name <laughs> goalies. So it's like already oh, um, and it's it's pretty crazy. I mean I know like we're getting all hyperbolic about this, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's clearly Shashurkin who's going to win this. I think it was also interesting too, because I remember during the bubble when the Rangers like made a, made the playoffs in some way, but then like, uh, what ended up happening was, I know this was like two years ago, but like the Rangers, um, like Shashurkin didn't end up playing, um, and uh, they had to rely on Georgiev. And Georgiev's not a bad goalie in any right either, but uh, but they didn't have Shashurkin, and the Rangers just looked lost out there. And, of course, it's like it was a different team back then and all that stuff, and maybe that was an factor. But, like, uh, when you see this team with Shashurkin, even back then, you're just like, you knew that there was something special about this guy, so... Um, yeah, he's he's go- he's going to be pretty good uh, this year, of course, and and maybe for years to come. Um, we're we're watching something special. Um, all right, so the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, Freddie Anderson. Um, it's a little bit strange talking about this guy just because he uh, he is currently injured, and it's it's unclear about how long he's going to be out. But, uh, but yeah, at the moment when I made this list, he was currently, I think he was second, um, if I did this right, yeah, he's second um, in save percentages, um, and then he's also had, like, uh, he also has, like, a second in uh, GAA, so I think that's, that's a pretty good sign that he, he could be doing well, but of course, if he's, like, injured week to week then yeah maybe it's not worth it but um but anyways speaking of which he has a 2.08 GAA and a save percentage of 928 which is uh decent in 39 games um yeah he he's he's looked pretty good um he he did have like a four game winning streak where he's uh, looked pretty good um in the month of the late February. Of course, it's like sometimes anti-Ranta plays in Carolina. Um, and Carolina has a decent defense ahead of him. 
but uh, but of course it's it's not good enough uh, for Shashurkin, um like Shashurkin, but he he does deserve some praise for the ability to like yeah not going to a different team and and being acclimated right away. So yeah, he's he's looked pretty good. Maybe it's like something that's could be enough for Carolina to to make it far in the playoffs. We'll see. And when you look at um, Shazurkin and Anderson's numbers, and as impressive as they have been, what also uh, really sticks out to me is the amount of shots that they have faced. Because we talk about the Rangers' defensive structure and and how good uh, they've been this year and how improved it's been. If you take a look at Igor Shazurkin and the amount of shots per game he faces, so let's take... uh, a thousand, one thousand, one hundred and fifty-eight, or one thousand one hundred and fifty-eight is how you properly say it, and you divide that by the amount of games that uh, Shuzurkin has played. So that's thirty-six. So that's uh, thirty-two shots per game. So that's a lot of traffic for Shuzurkin uh, to deal with on a nightly basis. Freddie Anderson has played in thirty-nine games, and he's faced one thousand one hundred and twelve shots. So he's played in a couple more games than Shazurkin has, and he's only faced 20.5 shots per game. Carolina has been notorious over the past couple of years for having one of the stingiest defenses in the league. Stingy, effective, not giving you much real estate to work with, and if they give you some form of real estate, it's probably not the real estate you're looking for, if we're being perfectly honest. And that has led to a bounce-back campaign from Freddie. 29-8-2, 2.08 GAA, three shutouts, 9.28 save percentage, numbers similar to Shashurkin. And there have been a couple of times where he has been tested. That game against Philly on February 21st, he faced 41 shots. He stopped 38 of those 41, and he got the win. So there have been times where he's been called upon to help out his team, and he's delivered but not nearly as much as he was called upon when he was with the Leafs. The Leafs sometimes relied on Freddie and Freddie alone in order to get W's. And you look at each and every single month that Freddie Anderson has played, and outside of a rough patch to November, he's been very, very effective. Um, Against Boston in particular, he's played in three games. He's won all of them and only one goal against, which is, again, a testament to how good Carolina is from a structural standpoint. Uh, the list goes on against uh, Toronto. Uh, five goals against in two games, so not nearly as electrifying as Boston, but uh, still, you get uh, three out of a possible four points, and, and that's it. You take those. Uh, Florida uh, against uh, against uh, the Panthers, he's had a bit of a rough go there. Um, against Tampa Bay, the one game that he played, uh, he stopped 17 of 18, and he got credit for the win. So as far as I'm concerned, Carolina was on the ball there as well. Um, against Washington, uh, that started off hot. Um, they ended up torching him for seven goals in those two games, so not very effective there. But against some other teams like Nashville and Calgary, again, sparkling numbers from Freddie. Edmonton, a team that uh, has a loaded offense in two games, they only got two goals against Frederick Anderson. Again, good management by the uh, Carolina Hurricanes defense there. So that's probably going to go against Freddie just because he's playing on a very good defense. Um, and I, I, I think that might take away some votes. It shouldn't take away the season that he's had, though. Freddie has been yep. terrific when you compare his stance to Ranta, 
when you compare his stats to Antti Ranta's. Because Antti Ranta face, uh, faces those opportunities um, with that same defense. And his numbers, to me, haven't been nearly as impressive as Freddie's, and they haven't been as consistent either. So he's definitely been a big part of Carolina's success this year. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so Fred, uh, Anderson is third in GAA and third um, in uh, save percentage. Do you want to guess? Actually, <laughs> the uh, do you want to guess who the number two is? Of course, Shesterkin is one on both of those lists. Uh, uh, I'll give you a hint. Both of the these guys aren't guys that technically we're not talking about right now on our list. So it's not Vasilevsky, it's not Jari, it's not Markstrom. Hmm. It's, um, who'd you say it wasn't again, sorry? It's not, so it's not going to be the the three other goalies that we're about to talk about, Vasilevsky, okay. Jari, or Markstrom. Um, and, and of course it's not. I would probably goalie. say, I would probably say UC Saros. Uh, close. Uh, no. Uh, so Swayman is actually second in GAA. And then for save percentage um, for second is um, it's Huso, Billy Huso. Oh, Billy Huso, yes. Um, I, I figured we, I, I mean, we'll, we'll save this for the honorable mentions, but I figured, well, Swayman we talked about. Um, I, I don't know if he'll have enough starts. <laughs> yeah, no, the sample enough. size for both yeah. of those two goalies but, is too small to but, but who so for the yeah. best enough this year. Right. This right. year. Next year maybe a different story, but this year no. But but even still, Huso has a nine thirty save percentage in twenty two games. Yeah. That's no, he's been good. And the blues yep. needed it because Bennington struggled, so yep. <laughs> they need wins from someone. So uh so yeah, we'll we'll get uh, after that detour, we'll do uh Vasilevsky now. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, he has, uh, he has a GAA of 2.32 and a save percentage of 9.21. He's 29.9 and 2, um, or sorry, not 29.9 and 4. Um, so that's, that's pretty good. Um, obviously I, I think the thing with Vasilevsky is that he's always good. It's like, yeah, we, we know he's always He's, he's been, like, the top goaltender uh, for the last couple of years. Um, so it's yeah. like, we like know when, what to expect. When you clinch five straight playoff yeah. series with a shutout, like, yeah. does, does that even appropriately define good? Yeah, exactly. Does it even define great or exceptional? Right. But, like, like you know, we, we know, like, you know, Shesterkin, this is his first time really being this elite. Freddie Anderson always has injury history and things like that. So, um so there, there's there's that concern as well. But, like, Vasilevsky, we know what you're going to get out of him, and it's always going to be elite goaltending uh, for him. And it's a big reason why Tampa Bay is so good um, all the time. So, um, yeah, there's nothing more really to say, but he, he's, been, he's been very good, of course. So, um, although I am noticing that if I am looking at this list, he is tied for ninth in save percentages right now. Um, and he's, uh, let's see, for GAA, he is ninth as well. So he is kind of a bit lower on all this list, but uh, he does deserve some recognition for sure. He definitely does. And um, 
you look at uh, some of the quality teams that he's gone up against, like Calgary and Colorado. The one appearance against Calgary, he stopped 26 of 27 in that game. He went 0-1-1 against the Avs uh, with a 9-19 save percentage, uh, six goals against on 74 shots over those two games against Colorado. As we all know, Colorado is a very lethal offense. Um, so it, it, it takes um, a lot to... To, to just tangle with them and try to contain them. And uh, credit to Vasilevsky for uh, salvaging a, a point uh, out of that. Uh, against a team like Edmonton, uh, stop 27 of 30, and uh, Tampa wins that lone game they go up against there. Uh, you, you look at uh, some of the other quality playoff clubs, Minnesota. He didn't get the win there, but he stopped 33 of 36. He gave his team a chance to win at least. That's all you can ask for out of your goaltender. Um, against Vegas, uh, in uh, two games, he went uh, 1-0-1, five goals against, so 9.26 save percentage. Pretty quality team there. The uh, Bulls get three out of a possible four. That's pretty good. Uh, against uh, Nashville, in the one game he's played, uh, stopped 26-28, got the win there. Uh, Florida, he's 1-1 one one with a 9.15 save percentage. Again, when you consider how good Florida has been offensively, Holding them to 2.5 goals per game, that's pretty good. I call that very, very respectable there for uh, Vasilevsky. Uh, a game against Carolina, he stops 29 of 31, doesn't get the win, but he's able to salvage a point for his team. That's good. Uh, 101 against the Leafs with a 244 GAA and a 931 save percentage. Again, you give your team a chance to win and you take three of. Uh, against the Leafs, again, give your team a chance to win. He's played two games, uh, 101 record, so Tampa gets uh, three of a possible four points. 2.44 GAA for Vasilevsky there, 931 save percentage. Again, you look at all the offense, we've talked about it many, many times. Toronto's fully loaded. Uh, definitely a team that uh, strikes fear in a lot of contenders' eyes. And uh, early on in the season, especially, uh, not so much now, they were getting quality goaltending and consistent goaltending. They were winning those tight games. So they're, they're a tough out every single time. And uh, Tampa's still able to get uh, three of a possible four points there. You'll love to see it. Uh, against the Bruins, Brett, 9-12 uh, save percentage, nearly three goals uh, per game against Vasilevsky. Uh, but uh, Tampa gets two to four points because it's Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, the kryptonite for Vasilevsky seems to be the Penguins because uh, he's actually won 2-0 against them this year. But even then, still has a 9.20 save percentage over those three games. So for the most part, Tampa Bay has had a chance to win a fair amount of those games even still. Um, the Rangers... Uh, He's got a GA over four, but that's only through one game. Four goals against on 21 shots. Not really going to evaluate that because he's only played against the Rangers once. Uh, here's the other thing. We were talking about one goal games with the New York Rangers and how big it was for them. It's not news for Tampa Bay because they can win basically any which way you want to slice it. They get results however they want. And uh, in terms of one goal victories... They are 16-1-6 in one-goal games this year, which means in 23 games decided by a goal featuring the Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa Bay has gotten at least a point in all but one of them. Here are the teams that have a single regulation loss decided by a goal. 
surprisingly, Detroit, who is 13-1-6 and in one goal games this year. You also have Colorado, no surprise there. They're 12-1-5 and in one goal games uh, this year. Um, keeping uh, Keep going down the list here, we find Calgary, who is 8-1-7 in one goal games this year. And that's basically your list. So a handful of teams only have a single regulation loss decided by a goal. And Tampa's right up at the tippity-top at... Uh, at um, 16 1 and 6. They're uh, tied with the uh, Rangers, Hurricanes, and Wilds for the second most uh, wins decided by a goal. And again, that's a testament to clutch goaltending by Andre Vasilevsky because, again, similar to the New York Rangers, similar to the Carolina Hurricanes, you look at Plan B, Tampa Bay has Brian Elliott as a Plan B. And while Brian Elliott is definitely good enough to be a stable backup, he's not the consistent starter he once was. He's pushing 40 years old. And if Vasilevsky goes down due to injury, uh, similar to years past, it's, oh, crap, Tampa might be vulnerable here. Right. And Vasilevsky just has that talent, yes, the physical attributes, yes, but that that mentality, that knack to come up big in clutch situations, and he just keeps doing it every single time. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so now we'll we'll get to uh, our next guy to talk about, Tristan Jari. Um, mm-hmm. He he is. Uh, let's see here. He has. Um, he's twenty seven, eleven, and six. Uh, he has a 2.3 GAA and a save percentage of 9.21. He has four shutouts as well, um, and yeah, he's he's looked he's looking pretty good. He has uh, he's eighth in GAA and a save percentage. He's in um, he's in ninth. I uh, tied for ninth. Um, so so yeah, I guess that's kind of less than everything. But I I do think that he deserves deserves some more credit. Because the Penguins are a pretty good team. Um, and I, I think, like, I mean, obviously they have Crosby. They now have Malkin. And Latang is, of course, always good. But um, I, I think uh, uh, we always overlook the Penguins because we think, like, okay, their defense is not that great. Uh, their goaltending is not that, you know, just you just need serviceable goaltending f- uh, for the Penguins because you have guys like Crosby and Malkin on your team. But then on the other hand, uh, the Penguins, um, or Tristan Jari, has been putting out uh, pretty good numbers uh, for them. So, so it's like, you know, that, that's no longer really a weakness for the Penguins because uh, Tristan Jari can definitely help them out. I think what is interesting, though, is that, um, and he deserves some recognition, I'm sure he's going to get some, some, Cal, uh, some Vezina nominations for this uh what is interesting though is that like during the of course like voting ends before the playoff starts but you know i think we all have that vision in our head of like how he imploded in the playoffs Um, i don't think that's going to happen again but but that's that's always going to be set in these voters minds of like oh right tristan jari you mean the guy who choked in the playoff last year um but I, I think it's it's definitely um, something that uh, to look out for. But it's it'll hopefully maybe it won't bias them. But he should 
he de- he deserves some votes, um, even still for this season that he's had. The one thing again that we talk about Tristan Jari is is consistency, and it's going to be it's going to be the be all and the end all of his Vesna campaign, similar uh, to what other Vesna campaigns have become. Now, there are a couple of games I would like to point out. Um, that game where the LA Kings get six goals on him, well, he faced 45 shots, uh, so maybe the Penguins shouldn't allow as many shots. And the good news is a couple weeks later uh, in a game against uh, Boston, which I'm pretty sure that's where Brad Marchand lost his cool because uh, Tristan Cherry turned into his dad, uh, he stopped 43 of 45 shots, and the Penguins won. So uh, he has the knack uh, to be pretty crucial in big games but um it should be noted uh since january 30th he has played in four five six seven eight games and let's see five goals against the devils on 19 shots Uh, that's a regulation loss four goals on 30 shots against the hurricanes that's a regulation loss four goals against on 29 shots against toronto another regulation loss Although Sharano's uh, offense was firing in all cylinders that game, and you couldn't really fault him on any of the goals, but even still, four goals against. Um, and then you also had four goals against on 32 shots. That was an OT loss to Washington. Uh, and then another game against the Kings, four goals against on 38 shots. That was another regulation loss. So you're starting to see the GAA go up over the past couple of weeks, and, and that's been uh, a little bit of a concern. The good news is whenever he's had a, a bad outing, he's been able to bounce back. December 1st against Edmonton, where, he, where four goals uh, get by him on 21 shots. Here are his goals against over the ensuing games. 1, 2, 2, 2, 2, 0, 2, 3, and 1. So he's able to get on a nice little hot streak after that. Uh, November 14th, when uh, Washington uh, explodes for six goals on 32 shots. Here are his goals against uh, over the ensuing games. 2-0-0-1-1-0-1. Before that uh, December 1st game against Sounds Edmonton, like binary. <laughs> four goals on 21 shots. Basically, like the lower a, the number, uh, the better the, the better for, for Tristan Jerry. Okay. So he's been able to bounce back when he's had those rough patches. And that I would classify as... A good choice for a Vezina Trophy candidate is your bounce back ability. Yep. Obviously, there's only a set period of time in the playoffs where you can get away with it before it comes back to bite you. And unfortunately, a bit Tristan Jerry up last year. But this is a good learning curve for him. And I think if he has a, a good bit of momentum down the stretch, I think he could be at worst a top four finalist uh, for the Vezina Trophy. I wouldn't rank him too too high on my list but i definitely think he's worthy of being in the conversation yeah yeah that's fair um okay uh and then lastly um we're gonna talk about jacob markstrom um on this list uh so markstrom um he has hold on i have this up here again but i lost it uh so he's uh, 20, he's, he went 25, 11, and uh, 6. He has a GAA of 2.17 and a save percentage of 9.25. So, that, of course, that's pretty good. That puts him 5th uh, in GAA 
and uh, his save percentage would be um, uh, also fifth. Uh, so, so that's that's pretty good. Um, and yeah, I think this is uh, interesting too. Is like in terms of like Calgary's rise to being one of the better teams in the league. Um, you know, I think Daryl Sutter does a good job about that, and he always like instills this defensive mindset on on the team. It seems. Um, and he, he always gets good goaltending out of it or good results out of it from the goaltending perspective. So, um, yeah, I think this is a, a product of that. But, of course, Jacob Markstrom has been good for the last couple of years, too. So it's not like it's a huge surprise that he's been doing so well. Although last year he had a 904 save percentage and a 2.66 GAA. Of course, that was in when he was like playing against McDavid and Matthews every night. So... Or, you know, just in the Canadian division, so so maybe that's something. But when he was in Vancouver, he was he's always been uh, pretty good. So um, it's not a huge surprise that Markstrom has this bounce back. But yeah, I, I think he'll he'll definitely get some votes because he he's uh, one of the reasons why Calgary has been so good um, this season. The one thing that really sticks out to me about Jacob Markstrom is the fact that five of his first nine wins on the year were shutouts. <laughs> yeah. That that is insane. The fact that he has eight shutouts to date is insane. Yeah, no, the fact five of those eight came in his first nine wins is like how do you even describe that? That's crazy. Uh, and the recent stretch of hockey that uh, Calgary's been on, he's been a big part of that. Eight one and zero in ten. February starts pretty good for Markstrom only one shutout which which is kind of crazy yeah the fact that he can put up a 929 save percentage and a 2.04 GAA in that stretch and only get one shutout and go a one and oh it it shows you how consistent uh, that Markstrom has been for the most part and this is the type of goaltending the Flames expected from Markstrom last year sadly didn't get uh, but they're getting it now and I'm sure they're very very happy about that you look at some of the teams that they go up against. We mentioned it with the other goalies, so we'll mention it with Markstrom. 2-0 against the Rangers. One goal against in that span, shockingly, uh, ended up pitching a shutout against the Rangers one of those times. Uh, against Pittsburgh, yep, he pitched a shutout against them too over the course of two games. Flames won both of them. One goal against on 67 shots against Pittsburgh. One goal against on, on uh, 51 shots uh, against the Rangers there. Uh, go down the list, look at Toronto. One game played, one game won. He uh, stopped uh, 46 of 48 shots. <laughs> Didn't get a shutout, but 46 saves. Holy. Insane. Yeah. Uh, Carolina, OT loss. Stopped 24 of 26 there. Pretty good numbers. Um, a team that uh, normally gives... Uh, Others fits the Florida Panthers, seven goals against Markstrom over two games, but the Flames are able to take one of those two games, so that's still uh, pretty good. Uh, it's underrated offense uh, in St. Louis went one and one against Markstrom, uh, eight seven eight save percentage, GA of three, but six goals against two games is pretty respectable. You give your team a, a chance to win at least, so I like those numbers. Um, Edmonton, for whatever reason, seems to feast off him this year, so we don't talk about that over the two games he's played. Both of them have been regulation losses, so there's an Achilles heel there. But again, you go further down the list, you look at uh, Minnesota, 
where again, posts a 930 save percentage, four goals against over two games, both of them wins. Um, overall, from from a, a standpoint of the uh, performance of a goaltender versus the performance of a team, there's no doubt that Jacob Markstrom has been good, but for whatever reason, uh, the Calgary Flames defense has held up better than it did last year. And I think a lot of that is a testament to the team getting to know Daryl Sutter's style of play. They're adapting to it better, and uh, it's reflecting well in, in their defensive play. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think a great deal of this is due to Jacob Marsham, but also the team playing better in front of them. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, okay, so uh, so now we'll do honorable mentions for Vezina. Um I do want to shout out, I did, we did mention Billy Huso briefly, but uh, I don't want to shout him out again. I don't think he has enough games played to even get, nom- I mean, he'll probably get a couple of nominations, but he probably won't uh, uh, get, I don't think he'll be top three. Uh, same with Swayman. Um, he, he, if, he, if Swayman gets any nominations, it's probably going to go to the Calder, but he's probably not going to get much for the Vezina, although I guess that, that would help his Calder case. Um, I also want to mention Ilya Sororkin. He's been pretty good. Um, uh, Jake Edinger as well. Um, but that's kind of like a similar reason for Huso and Swayman. They, they both play less games or they have like another guy in the place, but they're not at that stage just yet. But maybe in time they will be. Like next year we'll probably see like a four- a four goaltender race of Edinger, uh, Swayman, Huso, and um, Saros with just Shurkin, um in the mix. So, so that that's like a it's a good future of goalies for the, for sure there. Um, and then lastly, I do want to mention UC Saros. Uh, he has a nine twenty three save percentage and a two point four four GAA. Um, yeah, he he's uh, I think they they shut out. Um, the Predators shut out the, was it the, it wasn't the Coyotes, was it? Um, they sh- the, uh, last night they shut out San Jose. They, yeah, they shut out San Jose. I thought it was like a, a better team than San Jose for some reason. But um, <laughs> I don't know why, I guess Arizona then. But, <laughs> but either way. Oh, that's because uh, Arizona and Nashville both had eight point uh, goals last night. So that that's why it stuck in my mind. But, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, so they shut out San Jose last night, um, and I, I think uh, we'll see that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if Saros might, uh, might make some noise if he has more games like that. We'll see. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess, like, I could see maybe a lot of these goaltenders, like, getting, like, you know, being, like, the second guy. Um, if they make a run, like if Dallas somehow makes the playoffs or if the Predators somehow make the playoffs, then yeah, I could see Saros and Edinger um, making, uh, getting, like being like a Vezina candidates for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily see that happening for sure. The funny thing about UC Saros is he could be a top three candidate for this award. And I say that because is yeah. a 244 GA, a 923 save percentage, only three shutouts, only 26 wins, but the only guy who has faced more shots is Connor Hellebuck. Yeah. Here are the top five goalies in terms of shots faced. 
Connor Holowick is right at the top with 1,493 shots faced over 46 starts. He's 18-9-9 with a 9-11 save percentage, 2.92 goals against average three shutouts. Saros is uh, like half a goals against point better than Hellebuck. Uh, in terms of the save percentage, 9.23 versus 9.11. 9.23 is definitely bigger than that. And both have the same amount of shutouts, and Saros has six more wins. And he's second in shots faced across the league. And the other guy I wanted to shout out uh, that you didn't uh, mention that I think is worth mentioning is Thatcher Demko. Um, and if you, didn't, uh, if you didn't, if you did already acknowledge him, I'm sorry. I did I not. Get... No, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Thatcher Demko, since Bruce Boudreaux took over the Canucks, has been very, very good, mostly because I watched him just stonewall the Leafs. Uh, he's, he's done it twice now, but in particular the first time. The way that guy can take over a game uh, is something that I've seen Craig Anderson do a plenty when he was in his prime with the Sens. Uh, but uh, Thatcher Demko has faced the third most shots in the league this year with 1,377. It's a trend that was a thing in the Travis Green era. It's a trend that has somewhat continued under Bruce Boudreaux. And yet, he has a 2.63 goals against, a 9.17 save percentage, and only one shutout to speak of. And it seems every single time the Canucks go on the ice, even if they give up three goals against, or or four goals against, Thatcher Demko makes it count, and he gives them a chance to win right to the end, which I think is what you want out of the league's best goaltender. Not saying Thatcher Demko's going to win, but he's definitely going to get a lot of votes. So once you once we get to the end of the regular season, I think he'll get a lot more votes than people realize. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's looked good. That's a good one that I missed out on for some reason. Um, also, uh, Elvis Merzilkins, when he was playing against the Bruins, he was very impressive. It's interesting because like the Bruins were just I know it's just one game and all that stuff, but like. The Bruins just kept on like pelting him with shots, and none of it would go in at times. But like the Bruins, well, there ended was up, that like, game. There was that yeah. game against Calgary where they oh, got yeah. like sixty plus. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's he's crazy. <laughs> like, but, what, yeah. what do you want the poor guy to do? Yeah, he's, no. uh, he actually, by the way, he's uh, he's faced forty shots six times this year, yeah. and only one regulation went to speak of. But on the year, Elvis is nineteen, fourteen, and three, which. When you consider the amount of talent that Columbus has lost, still not bad. He's not. I don't think he's going to win the Vezina this year, but I think in the years down the road, he's making a strong case for a guy that we should all be watching out for. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then lastly, Jack, I, <laughs> I know Jack Campbell had, he had a strong first half. It seems like he blew up this, this half, so I don't know about him. He's not really an honorable mention, but I do want to mention him just for his strong first half. Um, to be fair, Morazic hasn't done better. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. <laughs> the, the Leafs um, as a team are near the bottom in save percentage yeah. since January 9th. It's crazy. And also, uh, James Reimer, I know uh, if the Sharks somehow miraculously make the playoffs, because <laughs> I know he's week to week, but if James Reimer has been pretty good, or he's a big reason why they have even won as many games as the Sharks have had. So uh, he also deserves some recognition as well. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, faced um, about the same amount of shots as Cam Talbot has this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so I, I assume uh, 
you're you're also going to say that Chef Sturkin won the Vezina. Otherwise, I'd be shocked. I don't know if I could do a podcast if you if you think otherwise. I mean, I wouldn't rule out um, a lethal down the stretch um, kind of run by either of the goalies that we've mentioned to yeah. at, at least kind of stoke some fear in him. But um, until further notice, Shazurkin is the front runner at this point in the season. He is the clear cut front runner to win this. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess maybe I, I think it's going to be Jari and Markstrom will be the other two. Maybe if Anderson is healthy, I could see that happening. Um, but yeah, I guess that like I, I think those it will be uh, Shesterkin, Jari, and Markstrom. Um, Okay, and then I forgot to ask about who do you think is going to win for the Calder? Uh, for the Calder, I mean, see, it's tough because Raymond and, and Seagrass are, are both game-changing players. Why do I feel like Sider's going to win, though? Yeah. Just, just because of the workload, uh, his ability to play all situations, the fact that he's a rookie defenseman and he's probably going to be at worst, top 10 in defensive scoring this year. Again, for a rookie, like, why why not? Like, he, he could be in the running for the Norris. Why wouldn't he be at worst the top three for the Calder? So I, yeah. I, I give a slight edge to Cider right now, honestly. Interesting. Yeah, I would, I'm thinking it's... I, I, I think it's Zegris if he can get that points. Like, I feel like yeah. the, the rookie point stuff uh, gets... Um, like whoever leads the the rookie points standings uh, usually wins these things, um, and it, I guess you're right though. It, it is kind of, like unless it's like a year where like Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes were the only two defensemen that year that were good, or the only two rookies that were good that year. Um, but I, I it usually goes to like the forward who has the most points, and now Zegers has like two games in hand on. Raymond and all that stuff. So, so I think it's probably going to be Zegers if he can keep up this pace. But yeah, you do have a good point about Slider. Just the fact that he is a defenseman is is very impressive. The one thing that separated also Kaprizov and Robertson from last year, even though both were producing at uh, yeah. pretty impressive speeds down the stretch, Kaprizov was the better clutch performer, True. and uh, his team was in a better position to make uh, noise in the playoffs. Yep. So, I, again, as I go back to the stuff that I mentioned with Zegras, if the Anaheim Ducks are, at the at worst, pushing for a playoff spot, and Zegras is a key contributor of that, I think he, he gets that inside track on both Sider and Raymond. Um, but, um, yeah, honestly, flip a coin. Yep. Flip a coin, and you could I'd probably pick either three. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's that close. It's too tough to call. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. Um, I I think um, I, I I'm gonna say I know this is like my Bruins homerism coming out, but I think if Swayman, <laughs> I think if Swayman starts most of the games from March till in April, the end of the year, and the Bruins are like you know one of the hotter teams in the league, which it looks like they are. Um, then yeah, I think Swayman might have a chance, but but maybe it's too late as well. I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right, that about does it here for us at Lace Them Up. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. 
Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elswith. We'll talk again in episode 311 of the Lace Them Up podcast.